So Mark chapter 15, and let's read uh, from, just from verse 42. So Jesus has just been crucified, and we read in verse 42, it was preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave his body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some fine linen, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph saw where he was laid. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, They were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. So they entered the tomb. They saw, so as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the woman went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Well, as indicated, we want to look at Joseph of Arimathea this evening. Perhaps, like me, you've had opportunities to maybe speak up for God's word or God's ways or the gospel. And I know there's many times when I've chickened out and I've missed the opportunity and I've gone away from it kicking myself. And there's times, particularly when I was a young person at school, I think I really functioned as a sort of an undercover Christian. Yes, I, I I went to church and I went to CY and I did those things, but it was easy to kind of fly under the radar, try and fit in with the crowd at school. And in the world that we live in, there's increasing pressure for us as Christians to keep a low profile, to stay out of the public square, to not let our opinion be known, and to keep it to ourselves. And as a thought about Joseph of Arimathea I find him really helpful because there's there's first of all there's a warning and then there's a challenge and then there's real encouragement and I think we we all need that uh, so let's look at Joseph of Arimathea we want to think uh, this evening of those three aspects a warning uh, a challenge and an encouragement uh, and, and so first of all the warning the warning is quite simply don't be an undercover Christian. 
or don't hide your light under a basin, as Jesus puts it in Matthew. And that's what Joseph of Arimathea really had been doing in John 19. We have John's account of, of this same moment. And he, he tells us about Joseph, nine, John 19, verse 38. Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, because he feared the Jews. So a secret follower, and fear was the key factor. And so Joseph knows what it's like to hide his beliefs. He knows what it's like to feel the pressure to keep his views to himself. And it really was quite severe pressure. Uh, you know, if you think about it, on the Thursday night, he had been summoned to an all-night session of the Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin. And Jesus had been arrested and there was going to be a trial. It was going to be an illegal trial because it shouldn't have been happening at night. But there it was, it was happening at night and Joseph had been summoned but he was a follower of Jesus and I suspect, uh, because John describes it as secretly, that none of the other Sanhedrin members knew this, that he was a follower of Jesus. And we don't know whether or not Joseph of Arimathea went. It's possible that he knew what was going to happen and, and came up with an excuse not to be there. Or if he did go, perhaps he didn't say very much. He may didn't agree with what was happening, but if he was there when it came to the vote, he didn't cast his vote with Jesus. So in either case, he's quiet when a great injustice is done, afraid of what others would think of him. And I want us just to think a minute for how fear can lead us to conceal our faith at times. Um, and it could be different aspects, and I think there's at least three aspects we see with Joseph here. It could be fear of what men think. Fear of what people think. I don't know about you, but how often do I keep my Christian opinions to myself because we're afraid of what others might think or because we think, I've already told these people so many times and I don't need to tell them this again. And, and sometimes we're not to cast our pearls before swine, as Jesus puts it. But sometimes, I know for me, it's just out of fear uh, that I'm not saying it again. I don't want to get rebuffed again. Um, they're busy expressing their opinion. They don't seem to mind expressing their opinion. But for out of fear, we can be silent. And Spurgeon has uh, a lovely way of putting this. He says, some are timid by nature. But this fear of man is a plant that we need to root up and not nurture. Then he says this, I should set that plant, if I could, where it would get only a little water and no sunshine. And meanwhile, I would beg a cutting from a better tree. Spurgeon uh, knew his, his horticulture uh, very well, apparently. I've been reading about it. Uh, this last week um, but there's a, a great illustration from him a plant that you would set in a dark corner to make sure it gets no sunlight and no water and ask God for a cutting from a, a better tree and wonderfully we're told uh, in Second Timothy 1.7 that God gives not a spirit of timidity but a spirit of power and love and self-discipline 
So we can ask him for the very thing that we need. So fear of what people will think. Or perhaps with Joseph, there's a fear of what will happen to our standing, our reputation. Joseph, we're told in Mark, was a prominent member of the council. A man held in high regard and high esteem. One of the big men of the 70 that made up the Sanhedrin. A prominent man, one who was honoured and respected. Perhaps when he spoke, his opinion was heard and listened to. Uh, You know, and that's a great position to have. To be someone in society or school or culture or a boardroom or an office or in a social circle, that people, when we speak, they listen. And that's a valuable thing. But sometimes we could be afraid of losing that influence if we speak up for Christ and for Christians. It will be sidelined and ignored. And perhaps Joseph was afraid of that. Perhaps he was afraid of what would happen if he rocked the boat. He could lose it all. He could be socially ruined and cast out of the Sanhedrin. In John 12, we're told, Yet at that same time, many, even among the leaders, believed in Jesus. But because of the Pharisees, they would not confess their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. And then a damning line, For they loved praise from men more than praise from God. And I know that I suppose at school, uh, that was often a problem I faced. I wanted the praise of people. And I think that still uh, can linger in our own uh, hearts as as adults. Um, Well, what value is there really in the praise of people who don't hold the values that we hold? Um, What praise is there? Uh, I suppose ladies, those who cook, what praise is there? And having your dinner praised by someone you know who likes their meal burnt to a cinder. And they say to you, after you've cooked on a meal, they say, that was a wonderful meal. That was just the way I like it. You think to yourself, oh dear, it was a bit overcooked then really. Your values aren't the same as theirs. And there's no praise at all to be praised by them. So why do we want the praise of those whose values are different. As we saw a couple of weeks ago, God makes that wonderful promise, those who honour me, I will honour. And Eric Little, we saw, and Samuel, and many others learnt that when we leave our honour in God's hands, he honours those who honour him. So there's this warning. And there's a warning too that We could fear what we might lose. Uh, Not just fear of losing our standing, but fear of other losses. Joseph of Arimathea was rich. Rich enough to have a brand new tomb. And this tomb was in an exclusive district. Uh, And tombs were normally family affairs and bodies were laid to rest and then the bones were uh, put in little boxes uh, and then stored in the tomb. And generations would have used this tomb, but it seems as if Joseph of Arimathea is seeing himself perhaps as the head of a new dynasty. We have a new tomb, and I will be the first one in it, and then my children and my children's children and my children's 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 children. 
they will be buried there too. A millionaire's grave, a fine tomb. And as a member of the ruling council, his his income, his wealth, uh, would have most likely come from business with Jewish people. And think what would happen if he lost, if he was blackballed by influential Jewish families. He wouldn't make money anymore. His business uh, would go down the tubes. His life and business would be ruined. And again, Spurgeon comments, Joseph of Arimathea's wealth made him unduly cautious. His heart was for the prize, meaning Christ, but the heavy wealth, the heavy weight of his wealth hindered him in the race. And suppose not many of us may be wealthy, but is it the case that we could fear losing out and we need to watch that hunger for for possessions or hunger for uh, whatever it might be, uh, wanting to, to be doing well in society, that it doesn't force our Christianity into the background like it did in Joseph's case. And sometimes it was God's blessing that Joseph was wealthy, but sometimes even God's goodness to us and blessing us can cause us to hold back and even cause us to be disloyal to him. God blesses us in our work and things prosper and then we're afraid of losing out in those things but we forget that it was God who made us prosper. We can leave all of those things in God's hands. And so the the warning comes to us all. Um, Are there times that we're tempted to duck to be a secret disciple at school or at home, in business, in work, in amongst the over 65 group, amongst our circle of friends, in conversation. When somebody turns to us and says, what do you think? And we think, oh, this could be messy. Um, let's not be undercover Christians. Let's not... Uh, have our Christian life hidden behind other things. Let's bring it out into the open. And Spurgeon again has a lovely comment. He says, Joseph of Arimathea was a great loser by his secrecy. He didn't get to live with Jesus as many other disciples did. During that brief but golden period in which men walked and talked and ate and drank with Jesus, Joseph wasn't amongst them. He was not among the twelve, as possibly he might have been, if he had possessed more courage and decision. He lost many of those familiar talks with which the Lord indulged his own. After the multitudes had been sent away, Joseph missed that sacred training and strengthening which fitted men for the noble lives of these early Christians. How many opportunities he must have missed too, of working for the Master and with the Master. Then he says, Joseph must have been a weaker, a sadder, a less useful man for having followed Christ afar off. So there's a warning for us. Let's not uh, put our light under a basin. Let's not hide it away. Let's not put it in the back burner. 
but let's come and stand up and be counted. And that's what we see Joseph doing next. And that's why this is so wonderful. We get to see a man stepping forward and we get to see the challenge. And the challenge for us is to step up in our commitment. As the world wants us to step down and to turn the volume down, Joseph of Arimathea says, no, don't. Don't. Speak up. Speak with grace, yes. Speak according to our personality and our temperaments, yes. But don't back down. And at this crucial moment, this great man, we've been critical of him thus far, but I, I think he's, he becomes a great man. He changes his commitment. And after Jesus has cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he's cried out, it is finished. And then he has said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit words. We've just sang from Psalm 31. And after he breathes his last, and then light begins to spill across the land as the darkness lifts, we see a figure making his way towards Jerusalem, away from Golgotha. And into the city. And he's got a, a purpose to his step. And we see him striding. And he's heading towards the governor's palace. And once there, having been announced to Pilate, Joseph of Arimathea makes an incredibly brave request. Magnificently brave. Remember, Jesus has been crucified by Pilate, albeit reluctantly, but he has been crucified as a rebel, uh, as somebody guilty of treason. He was, his body was to be thrown aside onto a rubbish dump, not given any honour. And Joseph of Arimathea says to the man who signed the death warrant, would you give me his body that I might honour it, that I might bury it? Just incredible bravery. He could have been executed. He could have been on a cross. And what a massive transformation. No longer will he stand in the wings, hidden in the shadows. It shows real courage and determination. And he's, it's just magnificent. It's as if he's saying to Pilate, I'm in agreement with that man. And what he stood for, I stand for. And not only is he, is he taking a stand before Pilate, he's taking a stand before the the whole Jewish people, because he's going to find himself an outcast. He's going to be defiled. He's going to touch a dead body. That would defile him. And it's the eve of the Passover. And he's going to talk to a Gentile on the eve of the Passover, which the Jewish leaders hadn't wanted to do, to go into a Gentile's place and to talk with a Gentile. And he's going to do it. And he's going to ask for a dead body. And he's going to touch a dead body. His commitment is wonderful. But there's more to it. Sometimes you see somebody stepping up their commitment because they're going to gain from it. Uh, the uh, young man who uh, will up his commitment uh, because his team uh, is now in the semi-final and he might get to the final and he starts to train harder because there's a prize at stake. Um, 
But Joseph of Arimathea has nothing to gain and everything to lose. Christ is dead. Joseph has no idea he'll rise again. His hope is gone. Jesus is dead. All is lost. And when all is lost, this timid man finds his courage to come out and stand with the dead Jesus. I just think it's magnificent. I think it's really helpful for us. In our world, it seems as if in Western Europe, all is lost for Christianity. All the foundations are being destroyed. And Joseph of Arimathea says, step forward, step forward. Because that's the commitment our Saviour deserves. That no matter what the outcome is, we'll stand with Jesus. What was it that spurred Joseph on? This quiet man comes straight out into the open. In some ways, like Judas and Peter, he had let his Saviour down. And now, it's as if the courage of Jesus gives rise to courage in Joseph. And this dedication of Jesus produces in Joseph a determination. And as he looks at the cross, he says, that that changes it. No more being in the shadows. And so, let's look at the cross. Let's look at the cross. Let's not look at the world and be discouraged. Let's look at the cross and say to ourselves, Jesus is worth it. He's worth it. And like Joseph of Arimathea, we've seen... um, We've seen the world and we've seen the cross. And so let's let the cross fire our commitment to stand in this world. And Joseph of Arimathea sounds a trumpet call to us. For those times when we're tempted to be timid or undercover or to hide our faith. Joseph says, step forward, step forward. So, will we be a Joseph? Uh, Let's not change down a gear, but let's change up a gear. And keep going as the road gets rockier. uh, Let's change gears and keep going rather than faltering and turning back. So, a warning, a challenge, and then thirdly, and I think even more wonderfully, an encouragement. An encouragement. And the encouragement is this. God has a specific role for each of you. God has a specific role for each of us. We read the story and we know Jesus will rise on the third day. But these people don't. The Saviour's dead. It's nearly Sabbath. The Jewish leaders don't want a body left on the cross uh, to desecrate the Sabbath. So Pilate orders the legs to be broken to hasten the death of the men who have been crucified but Jesus is already dead Pilate well Pilate confirms it with the uh, the centurion who has plunged a spear into Jesus' side uh, the bodies are taken down but what would normally happen the Romans don't bury criminals and they were bodies would be left for animals to scavenge on the Jews might have buried them in a mass graveside those are the only two options And if either had happened, how would we have known the resurrection was true? How would we have known that the body was actually gone from the tomb? 
How do we know that if it had just been lying on a hillside or in a dump, how do we know that it, was, that it wasn't just taken away by a jackal or a wild dog or, or some other animal that had dragged it off to its lair? Uh, how, do we, how do we know that the body was gone and that the person who was standing in front of us was really Jesus? If it had been buried in a mass grave, his body heaped in with others, there would have been no proof that it was actually Jesus who was risen and not someone just pretending. But God had a plan to safeguard forever the resurrection. Now who would help in this plan? The disciples had scattered. The woman seemed to have a great commitment but perhaps little influence. But God had a man whose commitment was growing and who had influence. Imagine the woman going to Pilate to ask for the body. I could imagine them having the courage but I can't imagine them getting entrance or getting a hearing. But Joseph of Arimathea was God's instrument. A Jewish religious leader, rich, upright, and a follower of Jesus. And he had access to the highest court in the land. Probably the only disciple who had access to the Roman governor. And he had a fine tomb. And he had an empty tomb. That's important too. We know that there was only one body in it. There was no confusion with any other corpse in that tomb. There was one body and they saw it there. They saw where it was laid and they went back to the same spot and that one body wasn't there. It was resurrected. And God had foretold it many years before. In Isaiah 53, he was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death with the rich. He was meant to be buried with the wicked but in his death he had a grave with the rich. God had it planned out and here's the great encouragement uh, for us that God had a purpose for Joseph of Arimathea as he stepped forward. He leaves the palace of Pilate as if he's been granted the greatest treasure. He makes his way back to Golgotha purchases some of the finest linen and he and Nicodemus we read in John uh, purchase these spices and they uh, anoint the body and prepare it for burial and they place the Saviour's body in a safe and secure identifiable place we read that Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph saw where he was laid an empty tomb no possibility of mistaking the body or mixing it up with another the tomb was sealed you can't seal a dump you can't seal the mass grave particularly. A hole in the ground with people flung into it. The tomb was sealed. What a vital service Joseph of Arimathea provided. And only he could provide it. And there's the encouragement. When he stepped forward out of the shadows, when he found his courage, he found that God had a role for him. And it was vital because Christianity hangs on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The, the evidence of it hangs on that. And Joseph is further evidence added to that of the centurion that Jesus was dead. Imagine if there had been any sign of life in Jesus, Joseph of Arimathea would have nursed him 
and sought to bring him back uh, to, to health again. But no, he was gone. They, they wrap him in linen, saturated with, I think it's something like 75 pounds of spices and fluid. You're going to be smothered. So there's, there's the certainty of his death, but also the certainty of the resurrection. And here's the exciting thing that happens as we step forward. We find that God has a specific role for us to play, something that you are tailored for, something that no one else can do, circles of people that he has placed you in, that you have access to, that you are connected with, that other people don't have in the same way. Or perhaps several of you are connected into to, to one circle and God is using you, not just one person, but several of you, to be influencers in that. So that the same message is coming from different angles. God has a task for us. A task shaped by God for each one of us. And like Joseph, we mightn't think that we're, we're doing very much. But in the work of God's kingdom, well, it's God's decision to decide just how much we're doing. And what he'll do with what we do. And we don't know what God will do with our increased commitment. But when you think of all the people that we know between us, and we could be influencing for Christ and who we are influencing for Christ. And the world around us wants us to tone that down. Let's not tone it down. And then as the darkness gets darker, let's shine all the more brightly where God has placed us. And knowing that often for us, God does more over the long term than over the short term. You know, Joseph of Arimathea saw after three days, well, three parts of days, or parts of three days, that God used what he did. It mightn't be three days with us, it might be three decades, it might be three years, who knows. But let's, let's keep doing what we do. We don't know what God could do through us in the circumstances he's placed us in. We're his ambassadors in this world. And it's never too late. It's never too late. Joseph of Arimathea might have thought it was too late. But with God, there isn't a too late. Joseph of Arimathea had no idea what was about to happen. He too would have thought that it was too late. He was just seeking to do the honourable thing and stand with this Jesus, even though, humanly speaking, it was too late. But... God shows him that it's not too late. He shows us that a life lived with those secret moments where we've ducked can be redeemed, as it were, by stepping forward and accepting the challenge to stand up and be counted as a follower of Jesus and to keep doing that, even after a lifetime of doing it and maybe wondering what fruit is it born. Keep doing it because sometimes we might say God sows the seed deep. And it takes a while to make its way to the surface and to blossom and to flower. Amen.